welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. Uh, I'm not going to talk about all the movies at Sundance, but uh, sometimes it seems that way. And for this episode, I'm very happy to be joining forces again uh, with John Derringer of Screenslate. Hello, John. Hey, Nick. How's it going? Thanks for having me back. Yes, it's been a minute. I think the last time we were singing the praises of uh, Arebato. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. The the repertory <laughs> revival of 2021. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's a bit of a... Which is, which is now a vetted, fully vetted classic. Yes, it's, it's gone through the life cycle. <laughs> now it's now it's basic, and no one cares anymore. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's been really awesome years. to see people embrace it. Right? Yeah, in like ten or twenty years, we can we can cancel it for <laughs> being boring. Yeah, yeah. Well, with these films, we're I guess we're at the other end of the of the timeline. We're present at the birth for uh for these for these sundance features uh, although i guess they all come loaded with their respective assumptions or baggage around them um yeah. but i was is this the first year that you're kind of watching a, a batch of things in earnest or yeah yeah this is technically my first ever sundance i i had applied for accreditation a few times in the past um pre-covid and just at the very last minute you know, something fell through or maybe I chickened out or I just didn't want to like fly to Utah and like stay in, you know, some weird Airbnb in <laughs> yeah. 20 feet of That's snow. A or something. Yeah. I was just like, you know, I don't have to do this. So why <laughs> uh, am I doing, putting myself through this? So I decided not to. And then last year I basically just uh, forgot, got and it seems i mean the lineup last year there were some really really cool things and of course everyone got vr headsets and i did not but uh <laughs> yeah so yeah this year i applied i guess i forgot to order yeah them. well i checked all the boxes that i was gonna watch ah. all the vr stuff um and just kind of i don't think of myself as is one of those people who sees press access as being like you know a treat or something but in this rare case i was like i mean that'd be like i'm not gonna buy a vr headset from facebook right but i will happily accept yeah. one wait you don't have to send it back or anything i don't oh. think so i think people got to keep them so it's like you know all these people huh. you know friends of ours who are unlike me not uh gamers or you know don't uh perhaps fully appreciate <laughs> the <laughs> immersive new reality that we live in digital reality um you know they all have them like yeah i've just had it sitting in a box i've never opened it um oh, no <laughs> and yeah the last time i did that it became a kind of nightmare of uh, where i did have to return the vr headset i forget what what festival this was for. oh yeah it just became it just went on and on and on and it, it was like the universe was repelling it uh, from where it had to go, it was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to like pack things up and print labels, yeah. mm -hmm. but no one has a printer, and like go to the post office, and yeah, yeah. Just... And it was in this case that was like the size of like it looked like I was like carrying a dragging a body around on the street. <laughs> um, nice. So I was not like uh, I was not in a rush on this one, but you've at least been able to watch some um, regular old two D movies. Um, yeah. Some old school, yeah, <laughs> trad films. Trad films, right? 
What do you want to What do you want us to start with? There was a Filipino film that sounded kind of interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, I was really intrigued by this one um, because I love '80s Filipino action movies, um, like the stuff where you know, kind of Rambo knockoffs or things where they have you know Robert Mitchum's son Christopher Mitchum, you know, playing an American commando or. You know, there are all these generic plots that bleed together about, you know, the the drug dealers are, you know, backed by the mayor and someone's got to fight the mayor. And they they always have, I mean, in some ways, they, they're like this, they feel like a parody almost of American action films, like, mm-hmm. you know, the canon films, the Chuck Norris and the Ninja series. Mm-hmm. And of course... Rambo like two and three but they're you know in many ways they went up them because there's this mm-hmm. heart to them and uh, for better or worse a danger to them I mean sometimes I watch these and I'm like I hope everyone survived this production of you know Commando Jungle Commando 7 or whatever but so this film Leonore Will Never Die is about an actress from uh, sort of 80s Filipino action movies. And it gets into her, it begins as she's sort of struggling to pay the bills and maintain a relationship with her son. And her, I think, semi-estranged or like divorced uh, husband. And she sees an ad for a screenwriting contest and dusts off an old screenplay she was writing very much in that vein of the eighties genre films. And she starts to imagine herself in it. And then she's hit on the head and uh, goes into a coma basically and falls even more deeply into this fantasy of being back Mm. in this film that she's creating. So in a way, you know, it has a little bit of a meta sort of Michelle Gondry type of vibe. It's very sweet and quirky, one could say, uh, and very much about, you know, it has that like be kind rewind uh-huh. yeah, I kind that. of vibe. Um, but in, I found myself really charmed by it. I think it's a debut feature by a filmmaker named oh, cool. um, Martika Ramirez Escobar. And it, does a really wonderful job of recreating the milieu and the aesthetics of those action films because the way it's shot, it sort of shifts between, you know, sort of, um, I don't want to say plain, but like, a you know, HD 16 by nine, whatever mm-hmm. sort of standard look. And then switches between emulating the look of the film stocks and the grain. I think it is all digital but it's not like um if you remember grindhouse the robert rodriguez that oh, you know where it's just like right. <laughs> totally they just like cranked the the retro filter to like five million <laughs> right. or whatever right and it's insta filter before insta filters yeah <laughs> right yeah yeah and i think this it was done tastefully here so it's not um it's not so cloying mm-hmm. and, and the action sequences are, are fun yeah, and they did a really great job of emulating the the 
I guess you could say like film language or grammar of those films. Mm. So even even the shots and the editing and the pacing, even the uh, quality of the audio feels very authentic to that period, mm. but not fetishized. And yeah, so like a lot of, um, you know, a lot of like master shots, not a lot of um, dynamic, uh, close-ups, medium shots, long shots. It's all kind of like mm -hmm. um, stitched together in, in a way. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and very much, I think, in tribute to the way those films were shot. So it was cool. I liked it. And a great, uh, great performance by the lead. I think if I'm reading the credits properly, it is Sheila Francisco. So yeah, it was yeah. cool. I liked it. Yeah. Is is she, it seems like the sort of thing where the actress like might actually have been in, in, in some of these movies. Is that the case? Right. I don't think so. I did a, okay. I didn't do a super deep research, but it seems like this may be her only acting credit. Oh, okay. But some of the other people in it are in a lot of contemporary, uh, like Southeast Asian films. Um, oh, cool. So like stuff you could find on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Well, uh, yeah, that's, that's one I've been kind of in a way saving because it seemed like it would be fun to watch toward the end, just when I'm kind of losing my mind. <laughs> yes. And it very, it, it is a good losing your mind kind of film. You know, I think it, I think the pacing slacks a little bit at certain points. It's certainly not a perfect film, but I, mm -hmm. I nevertheless, found myself very taken by it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so yeah so that's leonor will never die i think mm -hmm. that's in the world dramatic i think so it is. yeah 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 which is good also i think because you know putting it there as opposed to in as much as anyone cares about these things other than like critics but i mean it's sort of nice to put it there instead of like a midnight movie um you know right or like the yeah. next category, which I don't understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, as as my first Sundance, I you know I've never really understood in general just the whole politics and structure of film festivals. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you know it's a total mystery to me why something is considered next versus being a documentary or whatever yeah it's 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 weird it's sort of like watching prestige and high low cultural assumptions playing out in like real time in the opening in the open yeah <laughs> like here's our hierarchy we're just going to put our cards on the table of what we think about these different styles <laughs> yeah uh, yeah these different films you know it's it's a little crazy yeah um, but um yeah so and then one other feature that um I don't know, be curious to hear about um, is actually a documentary, um, mm -hmm. TikTok Boom. This is, as as people might guess, a documentary about TikTok, but that's about as much as I know I know about it. Um, so what what did you make of it? What is its what is its focus? Yeah, I would I would describe it as a very at least a sensibly like a very general documentary about it in the sense of it, it's trying to cover all of the basic beats you would expect from a documentary about, you know, setting up like 
you know, the world we live in today and this insurgent new social media thing. And, you know, these it, part of it is structured around following, I guess they're called creators or TikTokers who have in one way or another had their lives transformed by TikTok. So like, you know, all my life, it was my dream to like beatbox and my parents laughed at me. They wanted me to go to med right. school. Now I'm like, you know, pulling in millions from beatboxing on TikTok or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, and like, I mean, it, that could have been an interesting approach to just really stick with three people. But it, it uses those narratives as kind of like a launching pad or, or weaves them through a very general like, how was TikTok created? Um, you know, what mm. are the what's the the drama with how Facebook and other social media companies are reacting? How is it different from those? They have uh, Taylor Lawrence from the New York Times, like, honestly, sounds like she's reading off a script or something. I would say, in fact, like, I've rarely been so certain watching a documentary that um, everything everyone said was like scripted. You know, it's like a little too perfect, like all the talking heads, at least. Um, you know, they have, she's mm. the one who stands out the most, but there are some other like, you know, I don't know, sociologist or technology reporter, like Wall Street guy. Mm -hmm. But it does feel, I mean, not to say that it's not their own words or it wasn't sort of compiled from their own words. And also the, all the talking heads are very obviously like Frankenstein together in terms of like editing, you know, probably different things they said into mm -hmm. a statement and thinking eagle-eared viewers wouldn't notice but uh and again i'm not you know that's a whole i'm not trying to say that it's like unethical or anything it's just kind of like very um i don't know yeah. in a way maybe very safe or sort of bland it's a very it's a very straightforward documentary but like i was saying um earlier when we were talking it, it does have maybe sort of like a comfort movie sort of feel in the sense of you know, there's so many trashy and I'm not, I'm not trying to like be a total jerk to this movie, but like, you know, I'll totally sit down and watch a trashy documentary about some new trend or social media thing. Mm -hmm. And um, the great examples, I think, being the ones about like fire festival, you know, and oh, this right. is huh. this is a very this is a very like competently made and, and well produced and yeah, totally safe and benign kind of documentary. It is, um, you know, it does get into the it's TikTok's uniqueness as a Chinese social media company, like the first um, Chinese app to really blow up, mm -hmm. hence TikTok right. boom. Uh, the way and in, 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 in you know exceed uh, the success of you know Facebook in in some ways. Um, and it gets into like the political and social ramifications of that and the privacy ramifications. And at times it does feel a little bit like, you know, scare propaganda, you know, like I would not, mm -hmm. if someone told me like, oh, the state department secretly funded that movie, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. I, I'm, I'm definitely not alleging that. <laughs> I'm just saying like. Yeah. It does. It does leave you thinking, like, oh yeah, TikTok's probably pretty dangerous. But in that way, it also, you know, I think every generation of young people becomes invested in a technology that older people fear, and mm -hmm. you know, it's like television's going to rot your brain, kind of thing. And right, yeah. 
it's very easy to see TikTok as potentially a scapegoat for that. But there also are, I think, things that are uniquely unsettling about it. The way the thing I didn't really know that they talk about in the documentary is the way that TikTok, uh, the camera is like recording and analyzing your facial expressions while you watch stuff and like tracking your eye. So, you know, it can like, even if you don't like something, because like I'll passively scroll through it and not interact with anything that I'm that I would consider interacting and it'll start to tailor it in weird ways. And this did kind of explain how the AI is unique and sort of like, you know, basically every preceding technology like on steroids or something, the way that it uh, compiles data about you and, and tracks that. And of course it also gets into censorship and people who have posted about um, the Uyghurs and uh, you know, and it's a Muslim minority in China that's put in basically concentration camps and people who have posted about that have had their accounts disabled you know, so again, like I said, it, it it paints a very damning portrait at the same time. Yeah. I mean, is this just so Facebook can buy that technology and like incorporate right. it into whatever they're working yeah. on? I don't know. Like, so, I don't want. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. Um, yeah. so it's again, it's very competent, but I, you know, it's like a solid like afternoon hulu watch while you're scrolling through <laughs> your social media apps yeah well, to be used in conjunction with with other uh with other entertainment intake um but <laughs> yeah so uh, that leads me to, to my final question related to the film which is do you have any favorite tiktok performers <laughs> no i don't use tiktok so much it's it freaks me out a little bit because of how like the algorithm just keeps feeding you what it feeds you. And for some reason, like mm. I, I I honestly and truly don't know why this happens, but it's always showing me like medical footage and deformities or like people what? who people who were like super obese and really rapidly lost a lot of weight and then their skin is just drooping off of them like and it just shows me that non-stop and i'm like what like what did i do uh i do think i tend on once by mistake i know yeah well you know i was in uh a friend of mine aaron schimberg made a film called chain for life that had a lot of um Mm -hmm. disabled uh and deformed cast members, many of whom I follow on social media. So maybe it just thinks I have like a, you know, a special thing, like maybe proportionally the number of people I follow. I, I don't know. It's it's yeah, really it's disturbing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like fed, it's fetishizing, you know, what a connection you happen to have. Right. Exactly. And um, so it freaks me out, but my girlfriend uses it a lot and, Mm -hmm. you know, she'll text me throughout the day. Like, uh, God, I'm trying to think of a a good example, but some, some random crazy fact. I'm like, Oh, you're on TikTok again. You know, like, uh, (laughs) I don't know. Did you hear about how FW more now died? And, you know, there was like a, you know, I don't know if that was something. I think that is something she saw on TikTok where it's just, you know, there are all these accounts like here are 10 things you didn't know about uh, 
FW Murnau or whatever, or, you know, the craziest film ever made El Topo or something. But uh, I mean, film talk is interesting. It's like a hashtag you go on. And I I really like the shit posters. Like um, there are all these Mm -hmm. things where it's like, these are the 10 um, best cult films ever made. It'll be like number one, like her number two. uh, I don't know. Perks of being a wallflower. And, you know, so it helps me, like, understand, right. like, the, the sort of what Gen Z considers, like, but obviously, you know, there are, I'm sure, many, many people who are, like, that's embarrassing and basic or whatever. So, like, I love it when it's, like, um, this performance was, like, so crazy. The actor went insane. And then it'll cut to, like, the cat in the hat when, like, Michael Myers is being used, like, a pinata or whatever. Um, So, yeah, you see. Yeah, 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 totally. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And, like, Come and See blew up at one point, which I thought was really interesting. I was like, I wonder if Janice is, like, tracking this. Because, you know. It had, there was some post about like, come and see is the most disturbing film I've ever seen that had like, you know, I want to say like a hundred thousand likes or something. Um, But then it was kind of funny because I I was going into the comments and people were like talking about uh, all like the, oh yeah, you can stream it on ok.ru or whatever. Jeez. It's it's crazy to think of of that movie, like people, you know, rallying behind it. But I guess there's a sort of immediately digestible image i mean the famous still of the, of the kid looking totally dazed and close up it almost lends itself yeah. to to the format totally um, but i think about when i was you know 15 or give or take and if a film was re-released i just sort of took for granted that it had always been around and then as you get older you know you have those films that are like the 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 best film no one's ever seen the best film that hasn't been re-released and gradually they become super mainstream or not i mean not super but like relatively accessible and mainstream uh within sort of people who are into movies you know a good recent example that maybe we talked about being something like possession or Mm -hmm. you know right yeah uh yeah so well it's fascinating i I mean one of one fascinating example that like I, I came came across is like, you know, the Cecilia Condit short film. Yeah. Possibly yeah. in Michigan, which I guess I mean could maybe like relatively speaking speaking, not like the biggest phenomenon on talk TikTok, but definitely I guess ha- inspired a few like imitations and that alone I was just like, that's so that ends up being like really interesting. Yeah. Um, For that sure, yeah. And I think it's been really life-changing for her in some ways Mm -hmm. i i know cecilia pretty well and worked with her for many years and um but you know i i actually do think it is relatively big on tiktok like i mean not literally the biggest thing but if you if you spend a decent amount of time you'll hear that clip from possibly in michigan or something will come up it's not super rare and it it still kind of has legs and I teach um, people in their early 20s, many of whom I teach like 3D animation students who don't necessarily have a fine art or film background. And but they all know that video. It's very strange. Mm, That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. 
Actually, I'm just realizing now I, I, I would like to pretend I this was intentional, but this ends up being kind of a nice connection with like the last part of this episode, but, uh, because I guess people make the argument that TikTok videos are in a way, basically shorts, uh, or sometimes <laughs> people say, uh, you know, people should be looking for n- new shorts, you know, by looking through, um, TikTok, but yeah, because yeah, because we were uh, we want to talk about just a couple of short films from the Sundance collections, and you you had a particular mini thread you were following there. Yeah, I I just started kind of going through the the genre films and particularly horror films because it's always been a unique uh, interest of, or I shouldn't say unique, but a, a particular interest of mine, and a lot of them were honestly pretty short, so I was like, I can. <laughs> you know, <laughs> go through a few of these. And, yeah. um, you know, the short, unlike the features, you know, most of the features I watched, I thought were kind of bad. Um, you know, none of the, I, I thought all the shorts were, were had, had their own merits. Um, I saw some very good mm-hmm. animated ones, I particularly like this one called night bus by mm. a Taiwanese filmmaker, Joe Shay and yeah, it's basically um short film about a bunch of strangers on a bus together, and someone's pearl necklace disappears, and they're trying to sort of sort out who the culprit is, and things start to get a little stranger, and the whole thing feels very supernatural, but ultimately is rooted in a much more human kind of drama but it is very mm. funny and uh very violent but in a sort of playful way and huh. you know i'm not i'm not an animation expert so i don't know exactly how to describe the style but it feels almost a little bit like paper cutouts uh-huh. yeah i just thought it was very it has a very nice atmosphere and very just very well written and structured and uh mm. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a lot. Yeah. And I think some of that filmmaker's other films are on YouTube, which, and they're done oh, in cool. a similar style, similar vein. So check that out. What, what made it kind of super, supernatural? Well, it has a very uncanny feel. I mean, it's, it's basically this bus driving through a sort of, uh, I don't know if it's like a rural or jungle kind of area. And, there are only a few people on the bus and there are occurrences and things happening that seem to defy logical explanation, um, but ultimately do wrap up in a mostly, I mean, there, there are sort of fantastical elements to it, but ultimately the, the sort of mysteries of it are not supernatural. Yeah. 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 That sounds cool. So yeah, so that's Night Bus, and and then I think another one you mentioned was Appendage. Appendage. Yeah, yeah, that was a nice. I mean, it's that one was very short, like five minutes, and it stars uh, Rachel Sennett from Shiva Baby, which I still haven't seen, and oh, Eric Roberts from Eric Roberts yeah. is in that. Eric Roberts from many movies that I've seen. Uh, (laughs) I believe he's, he's Oscar nominated, right? Uh, For yeah. Runaway train. (laughs) Yes. Uh Acclaimed art film, runaway train. And 
I mean, he has a small role in it, but basically it's um, like very Frank Hennenlotter-esque. It's about a woman who works in a fashion design studio and is plagued by self-doubt and this, um, you know, very uh, basket case type or like Klaatu from Total Recall grows out of her (laughs) side and is sort of plaguing her with her sense of doubt and what i liked about it i mean i thought it was very well shot uh i looked like it was maybe shot on 35 i was worried like i hope i'm not being naive like oh it looks like it was shot on 35 and it was just like some grain filter or something but no it it looked it had a great look and uh it looked a lot better than most of the features i watched to be totally honest and Mm. the puppet uh was very cool very well designed so it just showed a lot of talent and, you know, it's, it's, the story is not um, in any way groundbreaking or, or anything, but I, you know, it was just very, it was very well done for what it was and definitely uh, has a unique sort of macabre sense of humor and uh, yeah, Rachel Sennett, like I said, I'm, I'm not super familiar with her, but she was really good in it. Um, yeah. So it's growing yeah. out of her. Yes. And then she, I mean, I don't know if this is like a spoiler, but like she cuts it off and it's very, very gory. Wow. And um, <laughs> wow. yeah. How to get ahead in advertising. Or not. <laughs> exactly. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, it's always a delight to see Eric Roberts. Yes, is that the, <laughs> yes that's, the, that's the word. Um, well, yeah, that, that's, uh, I'll have to, I have to watch that. I, I, I like a good, um, you know, puppet puppet appendage Um, yeah yeah it's like the length of the land acknowledgement so you know you can (laughs) see they should just show that you know they should switch it up like one out of every ten thousand viewers they should show appendage before the movie (laughs) yeah totally yeah but uh i mean i i think the land acknowledgement is kind of rad and um i honestly think it's better than a lot of if not most of the movies that i saw at one point yeah my girlfriend walked in and was like oh what is this this is cool i'm like this is the land acknowledgement um cool. <laughs> it does have a rhetorical force to it i mean the, the way they frame it is it's kind of different yeah it's powerful and you know i like the line support indigenous resistance because it's also a little I don't know how to put this like powerfully vague or pointedly vague, Mm. you know, because it's framed in this context of being about environmentalism, but Mm -hmm. you know, that certainly is not the only component of indigenous resistance, nor the only one Mm -hmm. that should be supported. Um, So yeah, I think it's cool. I couldn't help but watch like, I saw something like film threat, uh, you know, they had like three white guys and one Asian guy on to talk about the land acknowledgement. And I was like, I really want to know what these like sort of nineties Sundance, like early internet indie film people uh, mm-hmm. feel about this. And I, I couldn't help but watch it. I mean, it's pretty predictable, but um <laughs> I don't know. We probably shouldn't go there. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't touch film threat, man. They could take me down. <laughs> I know. Yeah, totally. Uh, so that was, 
uh, well, we're talking about the land acknowledgement, but yeah, before that was the appendage. And then one more, uh, one more short while mortals sleep. Yeah, that was very strange and unexpected. And mm-hmm. I was happy to see it included. It's, um, it's about a writer who's staying in a friend's house and there are some strange people there who she didn't expect to find and they're digging at some strange oil in the backyard bubbling up and i don't know i don't want to give anything away but it was a very it it also felt like it was very steeped in the grammar of like I want to say almost like an 80s made for tv movie or something mm-hmm. and i also think this was shot on uh 16 and yeah it had a good look and it had these sort of like ponderous pan and zooms that were a little clunky but in a way that i assume was kind of deliberate uh but not mm-hmm. too on the nose and um yeah. yeah i i i thought it was very it's like ultimately goes in a sort of cosmic horror direction but very also sort of tongue-in-cheek and and funny and i liked it yeah it's mm-hmm. nice yeah. little bizarro short film yeah. it's it sounds like the sort of short where you can picture what what their feature might might look like if they apply that toolbox Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And this struck me as a filmmaker who would probably want to keep working in a sort of like retro sort of niche style. Whereas, you know, I mean, appendage definitely felt like kind of a calling card, but it was a strong one. I mean, like I, like I said, it looked awesome. Mm -hmm. You would call the number on the calling card. I would I would call the number, you know, depending what I what I was working on, but also, you know, you need a strong I think you need like a strong screenplay as well and you know, this was like a totally fine story, but you know, can someone structure like a right. full narrative? I don't know. But um yeah. perhaps these that's, are questions for studio executives to ask. That's, uh, that's right. We than, don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um yeah, but that I mean that's definitely uh, something I've run into a couple of times in the in the feature selection. Just movies that you know had a had their provenance in, in a short, and you know varying varying degrees of success in ex- expanding, elaborating. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. What have your favorite films been? What's like if if someone were to have like twenty four hours or whatever of press access remaining, <laughs> for and example, should watch one film. <laughs> let me see. Well, let let me let me act like like TikTok and try to ascertain what your uh, <laughs> what yeah. your profile is. Uh, what you're looking for. I just um, I like all movies. I'm a lover of of all film. I'm curious about uh, that movie. What's it called? Oh God, yeah, I remember. I can't even say cha cha whatever. Uh... <laughs> cha cha, real smooth. <laughs> yes, I can't. I can't say that. Also, the director's. Oh, I mean, wow. I don't mean to be a hater, but like, it just sounds like a guy who would direct a movie starring himself as a recent <laughs> college grad. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but I'm also curious. Yeah. I'm like, what if it's good? I don't know. Like, you know, maybe. I mean. 
that movie and then also am i okay they're mm-hmm. they're both i mean speaking of colon card these are like feature length impeccably airtight cha-cha real smooth is is really smooth you know um yeah and i mean part of it is that the filmmaker yeah stars in himself has this he kept reminding me of Chris Eigenman, except like if he was like nice and open hearted in his characters. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause he, he's just this character who is disastrously concerned about others, but not enough about himself. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, has his own problems. What's the word? It's like extremely watchable. And, and you know, every, every critic, every other critic who wrote about it, like simultaneously was like, I'm sure we'll see him be directing some you know, studio film after this. But I mean, the other interesting thing is that those two movies are both like these, Dakota Johnson is kind of doing two different perfectly slotted little, you know, rom-com characters. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Man, I remember like when it seemed like everyone was naming their kids like Cooper or Dakota. (laughs) And like now those people are old enough to be (laughs) making (laughs) Sundance films. Yeah. They've already won. Um, Damn it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would be um, a, like a, a waste or a draining experience to watch Chow Chow Real Smooth. Yeah. It is, like, it is a, like a lovable movie. I do think like the last half hour is just like shapeless. It's just like watching like just it's watching like the screenplay like high five itself like in, into infinity. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I would like to hear like what you thought of We Met in Virtual Reality. Yeah, I wanted to. Yeah, I kind of like messed up my tickets and didn't get to see that yeah i also missed i think i probably at this point can no longer watch the the lena dunham but yeah i was also saying to to my girlfriend i was like you know hey we could watch the new lena dunham the highly anticipated follow-up to tiny furniture (laughs) and like and she was like no (laughs) like why would i watch and i was like oh yeah." yeah Yeah, that's one where I'm kind of been I I started watching it and I've been happy since then just to kind of listen to people talk about it. Like I I had I just posted an episode with critic Jordan Searles, um, and oh cool, I I'll have to, to check it totally out. Totally fascinated. Yeah, I was totally. She had such a uh, great like analysis of, of it, and so that's kind of what I'm doing. I I think I probably will finish it at some point. Yeah, but. Um, um, I do want to just mention a couple shorts um, while we were rounding up some shorts. By no, you know, by no means comprehensive. There's still plenty out there. Um, but since I did see them, one is uh, Bestia, which is a Chilean mm. short, and it's about a a woman, uh, I guess, under the dictatorship, who is sort of participating in it in some way, and she has this very like self-contained life, and things quickly get rather perverse and the whole thing just has this kind of curdled perversity to it as, as it goes along and the style is like just the figures uh in, in it are almost like sort of pat kind of doll like in a way but it's this grim material it's almost like it's like an animated version of like a pablo larine early pablo larine sort of <laughs> movie anyway that's that's bestia and then one other I saw was also an animated short uh, called The Fourth Wall. Mm-hmm. And it's actually an Iranian short. And it, I mean, it's sort of like a kid's eye view. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's just sort of gloriously bonkers. And he's constantly, he's this 
child voiceovers like babbling throughout it's like if a kid was like singing a song and just doubling back and just playing you know and sort of talking to themselves and it has all these kind of switch ups of perspective and in the room almost like Wee's playhouse like lunacy to it yeah you haven't never had have any idea from one moment to the next where it's where it's gonna go mm-hmm. so that was a kind of fun little piece of anarchy yeah what was that called again uh, the fourth wall the fourth wall cool and yeah we can uh, we can finish up there um any, yeah. any parting words you want to mention um I just, I just noticed as we're talking they're um they're announcing the winners of oh, really? sundance <laughs> yeah i guess this the first i think not previously announced award was for the sarah driver short film since we're speaking about animated oh shorts. okay well they we might as well mention it award yeah it was cool. I mean, it's like enjoy- enjoyable, fascinating. Uh, it's like Sarah Driver talks about how she had to smuggle a print of Cocksucker Blues to Rotterdam in order to basically have an excuse to fly there to try to get funding for Stranger Than Paradise. And, you know, it's like a nice, it's it's like a, a funny story and um, animated mm-hmm. with these little cutout puppets a really cool way. Yeah. I'm seeing the short film program competition jury. Did you see who who was on it? Yeah. yeah. Penelope Bartlett. We know that person. Kevin Jerome Everson. Kevin Jerome Everson. We know him. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. If we recorded this episode earlier, maybe we could have influenced them. Uh... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I did try to do a shorts episode um, earlier. It just didn't come together in time. But yeah, I guess... You heard it here uh, second that, uh, yeah, Stranger Than Rotterdam. Yeah. Um, Damn. Or... <laughs> Breaking news. Uh, Breaking news. Yeah. Now give me, an, give me a day to, to, to produce this and then you can learn about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I guess parting words, uh, we also mm-hmm. started the Screen Slate podcast, which if people yes. want to hear me talk more, they can tune into that. And, and I hope you'll be on it sometime, Nick. I would love to. Yeah. We just hang out. It's like me and rotating cast of screen slate contributors, drinking beers, cracking wise, (laughs) talking about movies. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't have enough beer drinking on my podcast. That's the fatal flaw. But your first episode was with one of one of my favorite programmer critics out there. Yeah. Christina Cacioppo, and we talked a lot about 92Y Tribeca, which Oh, fine. I mean, we talked about a lot of things, but that really stood out to me from that episode because I, I think that was a, I think what she did there as a programmer in that space mm-hmm. was really important to independent filmmakers. I mean, including Lena Dunham, who lived basically across the street and programmed there. Oh, and, wow. and, you know, like I remember like Safdie's films would screen there a lot, you know, the mm-hmm. late aughts, early tens. Yeah. So both to the cinephile community and the film community, it was a cool venue. So it was nice to reflect back on that. And um, yeah, now Christina is at Nighthawk. And we talked a little bit too about her wondering about her future in film programming during the pandemic and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And of course, everyone is is thrilled that she is back in the saddle. Um, yes. And episode two, we recorded the other night with John Wilson of the HBO show. And that's great. Uh, I think that'll be a really special one. It's extremely funny. I thought I was 
suffocating at one point from laughter. And um, John's like a, a good friend of many people who are on the podcast, including mm-hmm. our elusive contributor, Cosmo Bjorkenheim, who was on your show before, ah, but doesn't yes. have like an internet presence. So people think he's not real. But he and John have go like way back and are really close friends. So, um, oh, you know, I think it, it's like a unique insight uh, into not only into John, but I think John has a, a good insight into Cosmo. So we we mm-hmm. learn a little bit about Cosmo in that episode as well. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> when is that posting? Do you know when that's posting? That'll be on February 9th. And actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, then February 11th, we're doing a karaoke thing with John Wilson. So like oh, Spencer great. Ye, who's the audio engineer of the podcast, he and John are, are big karaoke heads. And we thought maybe we should just throw a karaoke party for the holidays. And then uh, Omicron came in and everyone got yeah. Omicron possibly from John Wilson, as we discuss on the podcast. <laughs> and then, yeah, so February 11th now, it's technically February. like a Valentine's Day thing so people should also and it's like open it's just like show up kind of thing people will need that for sure (laughs) yeah i think that's the sweet spot between omicron and whatever the next one that actually kills all of us is so this could be the last party like period (laughs) yeah yeah. All right. Well, um, everyone should listen, watch, attend, sing, all of the above. Um, yeah. John, thank you again for, for coming on. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Nick. It's always an honor and a pleasure. And uh, yeah, happy watching. Watch <laughs> happy, happy viewing. <laughs> You've been listening to The Last Thing I Saw with your host, Nicholas Rapold. Please consider signing up at rapold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music. Thank you for listening.